We shall not cease from exploration, and the end of all our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time, to quote T.S. Eliot. Today we're going to hear from successful women leaders bringing insights from their career trajectories and reflecting on what advice they would have given to themselves at the beginning of their careers. Hi, this is Penny DeVolk. Welcome to Grit in the Oyster, a conversation about how we navigate our careers, our organizations, our lives as women leaders. Exploring its challenges, learning from others, sharing best practice, an opportunity to step out of the fray for a bit, to help you tune out some of the noise and tune into being the best leader you can be. Good morning from Black's Club in Soho, London. I'm delighted to have with me this morning Helen Sweeney. Helen has over 30 years executive experience in the field of human resources, communications and logistics. She's got a very broad sector experience and has worked at senior levels for the likes of BAT, Unilever and Barclays Bank. She's also an occupational psychologist and is known for driving culture change in complex organisations, bringing her extensive business experience and psychology background together to enhance business results. Welcome, Helen. Thank you, Penny. Nice to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you. Um, today we're talking about um, the advice we might give to our younger selves. I'm wondering if we could start off with just you telling me what have you loved about your career? I think mainly it's been about the variety I've had. I've worked for lots of different organisations and it's been really interesting to have been in different sectors and really been able to use HR in a way which I really hadn't thought about when I first started. When I first started, I thought it was probably going to be quite legal mm -hmm. uh, and it just has grown. And then I did the psychology post-grad and was able to bring in that aspect into my role. Uh, so, yeah, I think summarising would be the variety and making a difference. Yeah. yeah. What's been the most challenging about, about your career? I think the most challenging has been working for really bad bosses. Yeah. <laughs> that has been horrendous. <laughs> so uh, it genuinely, the, the times in my career when I've looked back, and this has been a great opportunity to look back, I don't normally do that. I just think the times have it's been difficult. It hasn't been when it's been about childcare and you know, working things out. It's been when I've worked for a leader, which isn't a good leader. Yeah. What what does a um, what does a bad leader look like for you? What does a bad boss for you look like? Bad boss for me is somebody who displays bad behaviours. So it'd be what anybody would think. So a bullying yeah. person. Right. Uh, somebody who doesn't trust people. Uh, somebody who treats their people badly. Um, I remember working with um, a chap once and he went to work for an organisation, I won't say who it is, and he was the most fabulous uh, colleague to work with, really people orientated, yeah. great motivator. And he joined this organisation, the CEO used to call everybody in his organisation, I don't know if that's the right thing to say, F-wits. Right. So that lack of So respect, that's just how he, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but... So, yeah, so obviously somebody who would call their people that. Yeah. Uh, somebody who micromanages, doesn't trust, uh, yeah. that, is, that would be a bad leader for me. Yeah. yeah. So did you learn um, from what, you know, your own leadership capability, from what bad leaders were, or from what, and knowing that you didn't want to be that person, yeah. or from what good leaders were? Absolutely, 100% what good leaders. Yeah. Yeah, very much a towards. So uh, back in the early days when I was at BAT, um, we had a, a site and had an MD on site called Jim Stewart and um, 
you know, I was fairly junior in those days. And well, to take a shine to me, it probably isn't the right word really, but I remember him um, one night, we were just walking down, I had to work late because my husband was picking me up. So yes. it was no big deal, you know, it was only about half an hour after everyone had gone. Yeah. And he came down the lift with me and just started talking. He said, what, what, you know, what makes you stay so late? And I started, you know, just needed to finish off here. And then yeah. my husband's going. And that just interaction just made a connection with me. And every week he'd call me into his office and say, come on, come and have a cup of tea, Sweeney. And he <laughs> was just somebody who, he loved the business. He'd worked for the business all of his life. He loved the people. He'd be down on the shop floor. And he just taught me that authentic leadership mm. and what it meant to have somebody who was kind of mentoring me. Yes. Um, but I didn't know it was that at the time. Uh, and another really great boss, Jim, um, at uh, Jim Drake at Barclays, he absolutely got customer service. Right. This was in contact centre days. And he used to take his leadership team to uh, twice a year, different leaders, to Disney in Florida. Mm. And uh, so I, I joined in the August. He said, Right, Helen, you pick some of your team and you come with me and we go over in, 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 uh, to Disney in February and we're going to do the have HR some, course. I and have some fun. And have some fun. <laughs> but he said, You know what? What we do, though, is you have to learn from it. And we say, we're going to case the joint, copy and steal everything. So you have to come back with ideas and implement them into the organisation. So although we had fun, we, we came back and we actually thought, learning. Yeah. learning. And yeah. then we brought those things into the organisation. Yeah, and driving yeah. value into the business yeah. through that. Absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah. So you've had some great bosses some in your time. Bosses. Yeah. Um, in terms of your career, were there critical decisions you took that might have made a big difference when you, when you look back? Were there sort of key decisions you made in your career that have made a difference to your career? Yeah, I think the decision um, that I wouldn't stay if I wasn't getting what you know, a really good result out of my career. So if things got stale, yes. I just wouldn't stay and think, I'm going to wait for the next career move. I would move jobs. Yes. And that probably sounds a bit kind of flighty, really. And then certainly there would be some criticism uh, from, from friends, you know, are you moving again? Well, right. yeah, moving again, but, you know, it's always, you know, in terms of, I couldn't say real strategic move, but it was always a move which kind of got me a bit of a broader role. Right. So it wasn't narrow, it was broadening. Yes. Uh, another key decision I made was when I left Barclays, uh, because that actually was a fantastic organisation. There was a lot to go for, but I was just away all the time. Right. So on a Monday morning, I'd be saying goodbye to the kids and the wouldn't see until probably Thursday night. And I remember kind of kissing my daughter uh, goodnight on the Sunday night and she was crying. She said, oh, look, I'm see you. I said, well, I'll see you tomorrow and I will see you Thursday. So in two days I won't see you. And I thought, no, that's, I've got to make a decision here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, all turned out fine anyway. But yeah. Uh, yeah, that was quite a brave move, I think, to, to move out of that. Yeah. Did you have a career, you know, a plan? How strategic was your career management? Um, the thing that I thought was always ambitious mm -hmm. and uh, a funny story was um, when I had my first child, uh, I was actually in labour and the nurse came to see me and uh, said, uh, so uh, what do you do? And I said, oh, I'm an HR manager. And at the time I was a personal officer and my husband was like, looked at me like eyebrow up. <laughs> I had gone in for an interview but I hadn't heard whether I got it or not. So it kind of was kind of always on yes. to what next. So, yes. Yeah, kind of visualising it and seeing it. Yeah. yeah, it was very important to me. Yeah, so your career has been a very important part. Very important are. part, yeah, yeah. absolutely. That's fantastic. Um, any other critical decisions, either positive or negative, that you look back and you, you made decisions that have served you well, mm. or decisions when you look back on that may well not have served you well? 
Yeah, um, decisions that probably haven't served me well would be um, probably that staying too long. Mm. So you know, the, the good bit is, yeah, I have moved, but probably in some instances, I'd say probably at least two stay too long. Yeah, I didn't didn't come out soon enough. Soon enough. Yeah. 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 How much change have you seen in organisational life? Because you've also been in the belly of the beast in yeah. human resources for yeah. your career, where there's been such a shift in expectation. Well, at least in the language that people are now our greatest asset. Absolutely. What are the What are the biggest changes you've seen in organisational life during your career? I think the biggest has been um, the use of technology in the way that we work. So very much starting off. Um, you, know, you had to be in the office, you, in, you, know, you were there. No opportunity to work from home or flexible working, mm. condensed hours. I mean, it was, it was just unheard of. So I think we've been able to really help, you know, an enabler has been technology to give people more flexibility. Um, and we were discussing earlier though that actually people... Have they taken that have up? They, yeah. yeah, have they taken it up? Then that's, that's really interesting. And we were talking about actually females have taken it more than males. And, you know, is that right? You know, because we should all be able to have that flexibility um, as long as you, you're performing well. Yeah. So technology has made a, a big so. impact and enabled people to work virtually and more yeah. flexibly. Um, but you're saying there's still a lot of inertia in there from people embracing that. Absolutely. What, what's the big shift resistor that you acknowledge? I think in terms of, you know, I, I manage kind of multi, you know, teams which have got lots of disciplines in them, not, not only HR, but for customer and fleet logic, uh, logistics, men, men and women. And for sure, in the last 20 years, it has only been the women, and it's only when reflecting on this, who have taken up the opportunity to do the flexible working, mm. condensed hours, you know, work, I go, so I'm saying, work from home. And for sure, it's been the men who've gone, oh no, I do need to come in and, 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 and to get this done and, mm. and need to feel that presence in the office. So it's not been a push from me, but you just wonder whether that's a peer group mm. or push. Around your visibility. Exactly, and, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What it's demonstrating in yeah. terms of your commitment to your career. Completely, mm. absolutely. Yeah. Where I think women through necessity maybe because they've had to you know, get home earlier or something like that, have gone more for the condensed hours and it's been more accepted. Mm. You will have seen um, a lot of changes and also both recruited and developed a lot of women leaders yes. throughout your career. What yeah. sort of shifts have you seen in that world? I think it's not as much as you'd like to think, which is quite surprising. Because mm. um, even in my last role, I was the only female executive. You know, they're on the executive and the board. Right. So, um, and in my previous role, I was the only female executive both on the executive and the board. So mm. out of the number of 20, I was the only female. So although in terms of my team, um, I think probably seen more senior women, but traditionally in HR, mm. women have tended to come up yes. that route, haven't they? Yep. So it's been you know, one of those uh, disciplines where you, you have seen more senior women. Mm. Um, but you know, I was part of the 2% club, you know, diversity is really important to me, but I think I haven't seen the as much change as certainly I would have liked to have seen in the last 30 mm. years. When you look back personally on your own career, um, are there things that you wish you knew then that you know now? 
gosh, that's hard, isn't it? Um, I certainly didn't appreciate the value of the network. Mm. Um, that, that took quite some time really to really understand. And I think it's a differentiator with uh, successful people. Mm -hmm. Successful people have good networks. And um, people who get there early on, it's, it's a great thing to have. Because <laughs> it's hard, you know, yeah. it isn't an easy thing to do to develop that network. Yeah. Um, I think some people, I'd say probably 5% of people find that very, very easy. Uh, most people don't, but I would say now looking back in my career, that is a differentiator of successful people, yeah. of having that network. Yeah. So how did you um, embrace that? How did you A, identify that that was a need? Yeah. And then how did you exercise that skill? Yeah, so in Barclays, I got very much involved with um, a massive piece of work. So we were working and had all the contact centres uh, in Barclays to look after. And we really were trying to drive into you know, what, what makes a successful business in, in a contact centre environment because we had to turn over like 100% of people so we're really doing a lot to look mm. at what, what, what makes you know, people successful, what climate is, is, is best for people and uh, did a lot of work on what makes successful people and we looked at competency frameworks and really looked at what's, what's, what is the differentiator and it was that that really kind of pinned it, you know, doing lots of interviews with people and saying, well, you know, what's the difference? And it just came very clear. There's some key competencies mm. which really enable successful people, and that's having a network mm. and doing the hard yards with that. Another one is critical information seeking. Okay. So kind of, okay, well, that's what <laughs> that's what successful okay, so people do. That, it was actually in your work that you saw yeah, that this was a key competence. Absolutely. So what is? how did you go about building that network, and what has it given you in terms of your career? So... Um, it was, as you say, so kind of really realising that I'd always kind of kept in touch with people mm. I liked. So that's mm. easy, isn't it? So yeah. when you, join, you, know, you go through organisations, it's really easy. And I still go out for lunch with somebody I, I met when I had my very first role because I like her. Yeah. Uh, it was being a little bit more uh, kind of tough-minded about it and mm -hmm. saying, OK, I don't necessarily want to be going out for dinner with that person, but this is a really good contact to have, and uh, and let's keep in touch on that basis. Mm. So as I've moved organisations, really try to have that discipline really. and do that quite purposefully. Yes, yes. Exactly, exactly. Well, we certainly know that um, you know women often find networking a bit ambivalent about networking. Yes, absolutely. One is like, gosh. Can't I just get on with the job? I don't really have time Precisely. for this. And B, isn't it all a bit transactional and tacky? You know, you scratch yeah. my back, I scratch yours, and actually find the notion of networking. But you are a consummate networker, but no one ever feels that it's transactional <laughs> yeah. because yeah. you're interested and in, curious Absolutely. about people. Yeah. Um, you will put people in touch, you're fun to be with. So what advice might you have for women who don't want to embrace learning how to build a powerful network? I'd say start off with kind of the end in mind really. So just understand it's very important for your career to do that. Um, and certainly now people who are in my network have just, you know, they're just fantastic to be with you. And, and I would definitely say you know, don't um, don't do anything which you feel uncomfortable. So don't do it if it feels clunky. You know, yeah. if it's somebody you don't like, don't do it. Yeah. You know, life's too short. So 
Um, but you know, don't always just do it with people that you love having dinner yeah. with. You know, yeah. But, but you know, put some thinking into it. And you know, it's very difficult as well. For, but certainly if you're, you're working, if you've got kids, you know, to go out on, on an evening networking, you're thinking, actually, I pretty like it. I've got a load of work to do. Yes. But perhaps, you know, just try and fit some, some things in. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. Um, so for you personally, Helen, what was the biggest learning in your own development as a leader? Biggest learning as a leader, I think, would be, um, gosh, that's difficult. I think to really embrace being a role model. So absolutely role model behaviours that you want to see your team mm -hmm. uh, exhibiting. And so I learned that from Jim Stewart at BAT, yes. Jim Drake at Barclays, other, uh, other CEOs I've worked for, just having that connection with your people. Mm. And that can be with your own team, it can be with your peer group. And very important for me is the relationship I've had with my CEO, yes. so with my boss. That's been absolutely key to be an absolutely trusted advisor to that person and trusted colleague so mm. I think that would be a, a learn for me. So how did you approach your own development as a leader throughout your career? That's been really important to me so um, when I was at BAT I was lucky to be put on the high potential list so had a lot of uh, access to it was Cranfield and Ashridge at mm -hmm. that time so the formal learning uh, I'm a fellow of the Chartered Institute of uh, Personal Development uh, I did my postgrad um, in uh, occupational psychology. Been to Harvard three times. Mm. For me, that learning has been absolutely key to keep current. Yes. How else do you do that if you're not, you know, continually learning? Uh, master practitioner on NLP. Got all my team teamed up in that. It just always wanting to have yes. that thirst and, and and have relevance though. It's not been just, you know, that's interesting to do, to have relevance into my career as well, mm. for yeah. sure. So your development has been really important. Yes, absolutely yeah. key. Um, what next for you now? So, I uh, came out of uh, organisational life last year, mm -hmm. set up my own consultancy uh, and really working with organisations on the climate that they have and the impact of them as a leader on that climate. Uh, 50 years of research have shown that climate is a key differentiator in terms of business performance. Mm -hmm. And certainly some research actually by Hay Matt Bear uh, only recently has shown that organisations with uh, better climates can improve business performance by 30%. Mm -hmm. So they've gone into global organisations and said, okay, in the US you've got this sort of leader and they've got sort of, sort of climate. In Germany, the climate is so much better and we're seeing you know, massive improvements in their, sh in their uh, performance, in their productivity, even the NHS and wards which have got better climates, they've got um, far better results in terms of less drug um, um, I'll stop there. I can't think of the yeah. word for it. What's it? Um, so they're not they're not making mistakes with drugs. Okay. Yeah. Not making mistakes, mistakes with, with drugs. <laughs> <laughs> There's a word for it. So yeah, there probably think, is a yeah, NHS yeah, word yeah, for it. Yeah, there is. So, um, so just less errors. So less. Yeah, less errors. Um, so when you talk about climate, what yes. are you ref referencing? So climate is what it feels like to work mm -hmm. here. So you'd look at things like. Uh, do people in an organisation have a sense of where it's going and how they fit into that? Mm -hmm. Do people in that organisation feel proud to work for it and feel proud to work for that team? Yeah. Um, in the organisation, do they 
um, kind of feel as though they're paid and rewarded fairly, so as they felt fair about that, so as their performance uh, management system's working well, our communication's working well, so mm. they feel as though they've got a voice. And we talk about the five C's in that context, and we can measure those five C's and give a climate sort of score. Mm. Um, and in any organisation I've ever worked for, you, you haven't got you know, great news in every, in every bit. Yes. It could be things are working really well, so people really understand the strategy and know where they fit. But actually, the reward system's broken. Mm. So, those so it will be undermining working. that. Completely, yeah. absolutely. So this kind of diagnostic, which I use, just really helps organisations go, OK, well, which, which bits do we need to work on? How important is leadership to climate? Massive. So three things impact on climate. You've got the organisation design. So it's of the too many layers in the organisation, spans of control, headroom. Uh, you've also got the processes, things like performance management, recruitment. The most most impact on climate is leadership behaviour. Right. Yeah. And it makes sense. You'll have known that from the organisations yes. you work for. Yeah. You know, the the leader. You know, the shadow of the leader. We call it. Yeah. So in an organisation, one one part of the business can work really well because it's got a great leader, and another can work badly because it's got a terrible leader. Mm. So yeah, by far the most important is leadership behaviour. I guess finally, Helen, if your younger self was sitting opposite to you now, yeah. when you look back on your career, a hugely successful career, that's still ongoing, but in a different sort of transition. Mm -hmm. um, if your younger self was sitting opposite you now, what would you be saying to her? Um, I think kind of I'd be saying have a bit more faith in your ability um, and network. <laughs> Networking is definitely yeah, a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. So when you say faith in your ability, what, what does that look like and how did that uh, play out for you? I suppose I always felt, um, you know, was I good enough? Mm -hmm. You know, so you know, was that, that good enough kind yep. of whole thing here? So was I being a good enough um, person in the organisation I was working for? Was I being a good enough mother? Was I being a good enough wife and daughter it's that whole good enough thing mm. can become quite kind of overwhelming at yes. times when you're wondering if any part of it is good enough completely yeah. absolutely and now i look back and my kids are so proud of me and <laughs> matthew say oh you know i always say to people my mum this and i thought well that, yes. that's okay then but yeah. that was a big worry yes. and then you know was i being good enough in the workplace you know a good enough mm -hmm. leader for my people you know mm. was i there enough for them so that would be something, have faith that... Have more faith that you are actually good enough. Yeah. yeah. And how so. might they go, go about getting that sense of self-confidence if mm. it's being eroded by even their own voice yeah, yeah, going, yeah. I'm not sure if I'm good enough on all these levels? What advice would you have for them? I think manage that inner voice. Mm. Really manage that and think, actually, probably most people are having that thought. Mm. You know, and most people do, I think. You know, the more, it's something you don't talk about, but when you do talk to people loud you know, like yeah. we'd be talking to say we did have that so just yeah. think you know, everybody's got that yeah. so just, just turn it off turn yeah. it off turn it down if you can't see it change turn it the off, channel turn it down, change that channel absolutely <laughs> that's fantastic helen so networking we've got that message that's really important and just keep yeah. telling yourself that you absolutely are good enough absolutely. helen it's been such a pleasure thanks so much for coming in oh, today thank you for asking me penny thank you Good morning from Black's Club in Soho. I'm delighted to have with me this morning Patricia Taylor, Patty Taylor. Patty's a global business leader and she has been running a variety of multi-million dollar P&Ls. She's currently leading a portfolio career 
in advisory support for startups and medium-sized founder PE-backed businesses. Patty, welcome. Thanks for having me, Penny. Ah, it's just great. I'd like to open with a sort of a general question. You have worked all around the world. You have led big P&Ls. You have driven a lot of real change and value in organizations. What have you loved about your career? I think the first uh, thing that I've loved about it is the variety. Mm-hmm. So I've always been about change. And so even when I've stayed with a business for a period of time, or I've stayed in the same industry for a period of time, I've always injected some sort of variety by Mm -hmm. having to change the business, moving to different organizations, or moving to a different part of the same business. So variety has been key, I think, to my enjoyment. Um, I think the other thing is that you get a few purple patches, I call them, when you're just on a roll Mm -hmm. and your whole team's on a roll and you've got the right product in the right market that's growing at the right time and your team's enjoying each other and and I will always be grateful that I've had a few of those because not everybody gets them and they're special. What are the components of a purple patch? It's timing luck you know it's not all hard work uh, but I also think it's the right chemistry between the the leadership team mm-hmm. um, everybody's pulling in the same direction they're all looking for the same thing but they can see the opportunity in in a very visible way to each one of them so every person in a business has a different way of seeing and so everyone in the team one guy might want to see the numbers the other might want to see you know the vibe the other might want to see competition mm-hmm. Everybody's seeing the same thing in different ways. So they're all understanding that it's achievable. And then it comes to you. And it's strange when you're in the right market at the right time with the right team, uh, success comes to you instead yeah. of you having to really strive for it all the time. And that's that's a gift. And did the purple patches happen to you or did you see the opportunity there? Did you step into those purple patches or did they grow around you? I think both. I think the first time I was in one, I just realized I was in one and I was sort of in a middle management kind of role and thought, wow, this is fun. Um, But it also helped me rise because that's the first time I went from middle management to senior management Mm -hmm. was in that environment. Um, And then the next two times I was in it, I actually I actually consciously either selected an environment and a combination of factors that made it happen for me, um, or um, I contributed to getting the business in the wave. Mm -hmm. So sometimes you're paddling around, you see the waves over there, you've got to get yourself there, and then you can ride. And so I contributed to the getting it there, or even just going, look, there's the wave. Um, And sometimes just pointing it out is all the team needs, really. Yeah, Yeah. That's fantastic. And you talk um, with lots of energy about uh, change and transformation, variety, yes. So the purple patch has been usually about some big transformation that you were able to help facilitate. Yeah, and always about growth. Mm-hmm. So even when I, uh, I took businesses and I had to turn them around, or sometimes you have to shrink a business, mm-hmm. but as long as you're shrinking it to make it then grow, then that's always right. what it's been about. If 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 I just been a asset stripper, someone who went into mm-hmm. a business and just tried to suck value out of it and return it to shareholders without doing anything growth oriented for the business that would not that's not my fun place yeah yeah Yeah. and you said in the purple patch was where you were able to rise what were the components of that was that because you were feeling more confident or that people were acknowledging what you had to value um i think it's because uh, the pace was very high Mm -hmm. um and and when you're riding on or you're just starting to catch that wave you feel the energy and the force and i think 
people in that environment have to be very quick. They have to be quick thinking, yeah. they have to be intelligent, they have to be energetic, they have to be committed all in because one misstep and the power of that can also destroy business. Yeah. So I think I have those characteristics mm -hmm. and I think they stood out more in that environment. I think in a more peaceful, calm environment, I can seem quite disruptive. Right. Because I do have all that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All that energy. And so, you know, it took me a while to realize what? where you were at your yeah, best. Exactly. Yeah. Why am I making that ripple on this nice calm pond? Yeah. You know? <laughs> hmm. So yeah, it took okay. a while. Very interesting. So you, you quite quickly early in your career identified where you could be at your best? Uh no, I ran into a few stumbling blocks. So um actually the 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 pull of being a P&L leader, a profit and loss leader, is, um, is significant to a woman in particular. It's not offered to a woman very frequently, mm -hmm. at least in, in the stages of my career. So I'm older and maybe it's offered more frequently now. So when it was offered to me the very first time, I really felt like that was absolutely the right thing to do. And absolutely the right next step for me is to be that profit and loss leader. Um, I think Thinking back on it, though, um, and I've done profit and loss leadership for almost 20 years now, yeah. and I'm not doing it now, I'm advising, um, it's a very hard job. Mm. It is the most stressful, most difficult job in business, and I don't think that you have to prove that you're a credible business person by only doing P&L roles, but I think as a woman, I felt I had to do it right. because it was the only way to gain credibility. Yeah. If I wanted to be a functional leader, sales, marketing, mm. strategy, any of those, mergers and acquisitions, um, that would always have found me in a lesser position because I had never run a business. Yes. So, so you felt it was yeah. important for your own credibility to do that. Yes. Um, do you, but it doesn't necessarily something that you were drawn to, but it was something you needed to tick that box to be... Yeah, I thought I'd be good at it, yeah. and, and I did enjoy it. Yeah, I wouldn't have done it 20 years you without it. Good at it. Yeah. yeah, but if you would have put me in a room full of 100 people and said, you know, are you head and shoulders better than 95 of these people at P&L leadership mm. and what it takes to do that in a corporate environment in particular, I would have said maybe not, maybe 85, but, yeah. you know, but I do have some strengths that I would have been at the tippity-top at. Yeah. Um, that if I would have solely dedicated myself to that, maybe I would have had a different path. Okay. Yeah. So that would, and that could have been in a functional role. Yes, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. But a woman in a functional role in my generation um, was quite diminished as correct. an executive. Correct, yeah. without a yeah. doubt. Without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. So yeah. running the PL, actually being responsible for that was something that needed to be a rite of passage for you. Yes, but then it became almost a, a because I was good at it. Yeah, it um, became what you did. Exactly, and then also when you're a woman and you run P and Ls, typically, and this is just my generation. I think it is changing. The ones that you're given the opportunity to to lead mm. are usually the the basket cases, the turnarounds, the ones that nobody else could do anything mm -hmm. good with, and so why not give it with. to the girl? Yeah. You know, yeah. and so so there was extra tough. Extra tough, yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. But the pride and the enjoyment, when you actually took one of those things and put it on a wave yeah. and turned it into a purple patch, that's, that's something else. Pretty exciting. Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. How um, strategic were you with your career, Patty? You know, was there a plan? Was there a career plan? How did you navigate your career? How did you end up being so senior? Oh, God. N no plan. Absolutely no plan. So um, just got my first job. 
worked with that business for a period of time and, and just through, I guess, I'm bright and I work hard and, and other characteristics ended up doing a very sophisticated role in that mm -hmm. business, very young. Um, and then left it to move to Germany because I wanted to live in another culture, as you do in your 20s, mm -hmm. and then got a different kind of job working for a magazine and doing something completely different. And then married my husband, lived in America, and went to a different industry. I think the one thing that has been interesting is, is that I dabbled in what I would call pink ghetto industries, which are industries where there's a lot of women mm -hmm. who are in the workforce. Um, and and shied away from them, even though I was attracted to them, um, because the pay is bad, mm -hmm. and and there's a very few small number of people who reap the rewards of the success of those businesses, um, and I just and I'm not money motivated, but it just felt so intrinsically wrong to me yeah. that I just I just avoided them, and now I regret that because I'm quite a creative person, mm -hmm. and I and I wish I would have strategically made this decision to think about who I work with as much as what I do yeah. and, and you know, the nature of the business because I think then I would have stayed maybe in a more creative business Interesting. and but trusted the, myself yeah. to succeed. Yeah, but at the time it felt potentially diminishing. Without a doubt. It yeah. just, I just felt like, um, yeah, and you know, it's a shame, but it's just the way it is. Education's that way, nursing's yeah. that way, you know, there's just some of them that, um, yeah, they just, the, the return to the people who contribute so much to the success isn't there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what's been the most challenging part of your career? The variety. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> it's easier to have a career where you're in the same industry or, you know, you're staying with one business for uh -huh. a very long period of time. Um, because I'm so change-oriented, um, I've either changed businesses I've worked for uh, pretty much every three years, or if I've stayed a long time, I've actually changed the division or the role significantly. Right. Yep. So that's that's a challenge. And I think the other thing is that um, um, having a temporary seat at the table most of the time. So even when I would make it to the table, and by the table I mean the top table, yes. um, it was very easy for me to sit at the table one below. Mm -hmm. And I could have a permanent seat there forever. Mm -hmm. But that top table where people actually make the most significant decisions and, and um, are the recognized absolute top level leaders of the business, I always felt it was a temporary seat. And I always felt that there, there was always the opportunity for me to get kicked out of the room or that there were plenty of meetings around that table that I wasn't invited to. So it never felt proper. And was, was, were those feelings legitimate feelings? Was that actually what was happening or is that how you sat at that table? Maybe combination of both. Mm -hmm. Maybe I had a bit of imposter syndrome and mm -hmm. so, you know, that anxiety was there. Uh, but definitely it was also uh, simply the accepted behavior of the people in the room. Mm -hmm. I think part of it too, though, is that dynamic leaders at that level um, tend to be very different, quirky, volatile people. And I call it the flame. And I've always been asked to be very close to the flame mm -hmm. at the top table, near the flame. But I've always been so afraid of that being burned that I've deliberately taken myself down a level mm -hmm. to protect protect myself from that. Because I have seen genuinely fabulous people get completely destroyed in that environment. But I've also seen some pretty nefarious plotting people also mm. not do well. So I don't think it's about the quality of the people. I just think that environment 
burns people up sometimes. So that was a conscious decision for yeah. you? Yeah. 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 But I, I was sad and I'm sad today because I don't think that environment has to be incendiary. Mm. I don't think it has to destroy people mm. to create success and value. But it's just the way most of them are run. So the leadership teams, very senior leadership teams, being quite brutalizing. Yeah. Yeah. Without mm. a doubt. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So challenging mm -hmm. variety you've yeah. referenced. Yeah. Um, were there been any critical decisions that you've taken throughout your career? You said didn't have a plan. Yeah. Uh, that made a big difference, even if you look back on them and go, actually, yes, if I hadn't made that decision like that, things yeah. would have been different. Yeah. So um, marrying my husband. Yeah. Because he's a really supportive partner. Um, both of my career, but also of my time. Mm -hmm. And so he definitely gave of his time 50-50, which freed me completely yeah. to, to do what I needed to do, I think, in business. Um, getting an MBA. Yeah. Um, I thought I went, to, I, went, I went to get it when I was um, in work. So after I had been working for a business for a very long time, I went to an executive program and I thought I was doing it just to get my ticket punched. Again, yeah. the credibility problem. Mm -hmm. um, but instead I loved it and I feel I learned a tremendous amount and apply what I learned there almost on a daily basis. It mm -hmm. gives you a different view of business. So mm -hmm. I think that was really good. Um, and then I turned down a startup that subsequently went public on the New York Stock Exchange right. um, at a point where I could have been foundational. Mm -hmm. um, and I did that so I could get my MBA because the guy running the startup okay, wanted yeah. my soul and my life. So it wasn't either or decision at that time. Yeah. I had to. And he yeah. was clear with me. Look, you're in, you're all in, yeah. and you won't even see your baby, but yeah. you'll get rich. And I chose the other path and I actually could have gotten rich. So, you know, that's How always... How do you feel about that decision? I think it was the right one, yeah. without a doubt. But it's still, it was a conscious one. And then moving here to the UK. Mm -hmm. I think that's the other one that was... Um, significant to my career and mm. important yeah how what significance has it served for you oh i came for work family work-life balance yeah um americans work all hours all mm -hmm. days no vacation and i wanted to see my kids and my family and i also wanted to have the opportunity to be in your other cultures and lead businesses and work with people from other cultures mm. and so being here really afforded both of those things to me mm -hmm. okay you talked about the challenge of um, the incendiary senior levels. What, what are the challenges in terms of the development of your leadership and your leadership identity have you come across? Um, I wish, you know, um, I wish you would have realized that not every opportunity takes you forward. Mm -hmm. So um, because my career is unplanned, um, what I do is I'm opportunistic. And so if an opportunity is there and it looks appealing and it smells good and you feel like it's the right thing to do, um, just because it's an opportunity doesn't mean that it's going to take you forward. It mm -hmm. just might be just an opportunity. And to pick the right ones that take you forward as a person as well as a professional um, means taking a bit more time to evaluate them mm -hmm. and being willing to let one of those buses pass you by and get the next better bus. And I, I don't think that I... I was aware, self-aware enough or confident enough maybe to let an opportunity go yeah. without trusting that another one's on the way. So how, yeah. what evaluation criteria did you bring, you know, ultimately to saying this is an opportunity, now we're just going to have a little look, get my compass out, get my filtering technology together. How did you evaluate whether that opportunity was one you jumped on or not? 
typically it was because it was doing something that I hadn't done before, variety. Right. Yeah. Um, or it was, um, is it, in one case, it was returning to something that I knew I could do and I was good at. And, yeah. you know, so it was, it was predictable. So the compass changes depending on where I am in my own development, where mm -hmm. my family dynamics are, mm -hmm. what my personal objectives are. So it's never the same compass, but it, it was always around. Um, it was very much, it's, it came at the right time. Mm -hmm. So it, timing was important. Timing yeah. was almost the only critical factor, which mm. is wrong. Because <laughs> yeah. I never needed to yeah. change. Um, but it just felt like this was the first opportunity, so why not take it? Yeah. So I've learned, I think, to wait a bit for yeah, the, the and right one. Yeah, step back and evaluate it with a different perspective. Yeah, exactly. And also, and, and also to, to discount some somebody else's opinion. So mm -hmm. frequently I would accept opportunities because other people around me were Thought going, it was that's really fantastic, good for you. Yeah. how could you, you know? And actually the one that I did turn down very, very, very early in my career was um, when I was um, actually working in a political talk show in DC and I had a bit of a me too moment then. And I thought, oh, I don't wanna be in this environment. Yeah. And so I self-selected out, mm -hmm. but that was the only sort of one where everybody was like, what are you doing? But I never told them why. Right, okay. I just said, it's not for me because yeah. I didn't wanna bring all that ugliness up. So yeah. even but the then, environment certainly wasn't for you. Correct, no, the, but, those guys yeah. were, weird and voracious so yeah yeah interesting but yeah. that was again something you self-selected out but you wouldn't have potentially by choice it was just an environment you did not want to be around correct yeah, yeah. yep um what do you wish you knew when you were early in your career that you know now um i think uh if i if somebody would have said to me don't worry about the role because that will change over time and you'll wear many hats and you'll experiment with many roles. Worry about whether or not you're using your brain in the way you enjoy and worry about whether or not you're with people you enjoy being with for at least 10 hours a day. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean people like personality types so much as... Um, the nature of people in an industry. So, for example, if you like super smart people and you enjoy being around super smart people yeah. all the time, then you should limit yourself to working in certain industries where the majority of the people in them are super smart. Science, hedge fund, whatever, mm -hmm. you know, they don't have to be all the same types. Or if you're creative, you should then work in industries where there's a lot of creative people. They're not all creative, but um, because I think that that, you can always be successful at business you can always pull those levers. You can always learn how to make yeah. money. But the the real fun of working with people that get you and that you get and that you enjoy, I wish somebody would have coached me very early about focusing on that. How powerful that. that is and how important it is. Yeah. yeah. So just yeah. pick your ecosystem. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I ended up in software and business to business services. <laughs> and if somebody would have told me This is well, this is audio because that face is speaking <laughs> volumes. <laughs> There are lovely people in those industries. Don't get me wrong. Um, but yeah, I wouldn't know. Yeah, but who we work with and what kind of people yeah. they are and, and just what kind of energy you get from the people exactly. around you when we all work so hard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because they're all, no matter what you do in business, it's all integrated with other people's contributions. And yeah. so, you know, if, if, if it just feels a bit out of step, 
if you're if then you're the you weird one in the room, you yeah, know, then you feel out of step. Yeah, and Ooh. being a woman, you're already weird. Yeah. So you know, take one thing away at least. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> of that weirdness. Um, <laughs> tell me a bit about um, you know your career over the last twenty five years. You will have seen more women entering executive mm. ranks, leadership ranks. What's your sort of view of what you've seen and where things are at now? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about what's worse today than when I started. You know, how's, how's it changed for, for people um, and particularly for women? And I think what really shocked me when I was thinking about that is the answer is I don't think anything's worse. I genuinely don't. I struggled to think about, well, what's worse for women or, you know, people? I do think one thing that, that happens more that I have noticed is mansplaining. So I never really got mansplained early in my career. Maybe right. it's because the higher I got, the more important it was for the guy to be the one saying the things in the room, or I don't know. But I will say, in the last five years, that mansplaining has gotten... Where, where Not you, just I, because we've given it a name now. No, it's, I think it genuinely is more common. I absolutely... It's so the give only, me, give yeah. me an example of what mansplaining might look like in... Is it in a meeting or something where someone is yeah. basically... Yeah, it's usually in a group dynamic. Yeah. Um, it's an important dynamic. So right. it's not in... You're, you're around, you're having drinks. It's an everyday... You yes. know, it's not an informal gathering. Right. So usually, the stakes are fairly high. Yeah. So this might be a decision being made or... Yeah. A strategic Purposeful direction. meeting. Yeah. Um, and you... I might say, we, we, we really need to look at the size of that market because although it looks like it's big, when you really chunk it up into the ones that we could actually address, it's really quite small and therefore the return might be smaller. You just some, I just say yeah, something yeah. that just, you know, I either wrote down earlier or whatever. Yeah. And everyone around the room, because usually I'm the only woman, everyone around the room kind of looks down and nods. And then about five minutes later, one of the guys go, you know, I really think that we might want to look back at the size of that market. Yeah. And and I'm just sitting there going, did I just not say that? Mm -hmm. And I actually have walked out of these meetings and said to a guy colleague that I've gotten along with, did that really happen? And he's like, yeah, that happened to you last meeting too. I don't know what we're going to do. So it's just a thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. And it's more prevalent now rather than you're just being more aware of it, you think? Yeah, I think they're nervous. Mm -hmm. I think they're nervous about the voice at the table. Mm -hmm. And I think so they're, they're thinking, hearing. I got to talk louder because it's going to be heard and, and it's not going to be yeah. mine. Yeah. No, it's more competitive. Yeah. It's really so weird. I, I feel to them like more of a threat than I have historically. And therefore, uh -huh. they have to take my point and massage it into their own words. Because yeah. before, if I said it and nobody picked up on it, they didn't care, but yeah. now if I say it and somebody might pick up on it, they want to grab it first. Okay, because the stakes feel higher and you think that it comes from a position of threat. Your yeah, I think a, so. Mm. Yeah, I think so. So it might be something. But other than that, nothing's worse. I think... Um, What's better about... Goss. Yeah. Um, I think you're less likely to have overt... What it, uh, Harassment is such a loaded word. Yeah. Um, overt sexual undertones mm -hmm. because you can call it out now yeah um which i think is really good um i think i call them string fellow moments as well <laughs> so these less overt things that happen when you're with a bunch of colleagues and they go oh we're taking the sales guys out to string fellows yeah, and yeah. they look at you like oh maybe 
do you want to come? Yes. <laughs> now, not, maybe they'll be a bit more aware. That that's, I don't think they'll not go to Stringfellows, but who <laughs> but knows? they won't be invited yeah, you. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, I think women's education level is so dramatically improved. Yeah, how so? Um, well, in the Western world, mm-hmm. you know, women have more college degrees. They have mm-hmm. more advanced degrees. They graduate high school more. So, And it's now starting in the developing world. So I think that's just going to be transformational going yeah. forward it's yeah. just amazing so that's that's so much better yeah um so yeah i think it's all good i think um it's just you know steps along the way yeah so what was the biggest development opportunity for you in terms of building your own leadership capability were there again either stage gates or big aha moments for you as a leader yeah i think um one was to not fight the fact that I have a very strong nature, mm-hmm. um, that that I'm good with language and I use powerful language, that I uh, have a very unique strategic connective skill, um, and to actually put that on the table with pride instead mm-hmm. of to hold it back a bit, make sure it's not too glaring because yeah. then people might, you know either be afraid of it or or just not know what to do with it. So yeah. I think I've I think I've become more comfortable. I had a moment when I thought, well just let that free because mm. in holding it back you're actually diminishing your ability to contribute. Yeah. You're hold you know, you're holding that back. So I think that's that's good. And I think that I'm still struggling with this, but I think I'm more conscious of the struggle is what is the right balance of trust among colleagues. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's something that um, I will probably always struggle with because I'm a natural truster. Mm-hmm. And so what I tend to do um, in, intrinsically is to over-trust. Um, and then all the challenge that comes with that when I've made that a bad choice. And is that trust from an interpersonal perspective or from a personal professional delivery perspective how has you know how has that trust been betrayed I think it's 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 professional so it's mm. you know I'm not I've made a lot of friends and by being in business but yeah. I'm not in business to make friends yeah I never have conflated the two yeah. um, so it's much more about if I've honestly told someone my view or I've honestly participated in something expecting that that participation would be acknowledged and respected right. and then actually it's been turned into something else for somebody's political purpose right, or right. you know it's that kind of typical corporate politic dynamic mm-hmm. um, but for me um, I've got a pretty shaky radar there right. so I've, I think learning early that my radar wasn't very good and learning early that I will struggle with it and to try to make better conscious decisions around trust has been a really big lesson. And why? And with what? And that it's okay to work well with someone even if you don't trust them. Because I used to think not trusting someone meant that I didn't like them and I didn't want to work with them. Um, But actually, Mm. I think that as long as you know you can't trust them and you understand how you want to control the boundaries Mm. of that interaction, then you can work well with them and sometimes enjoy it. You just yeah. know the animal you're with. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's powerful. Mm. Yeah, very interesting. Um, what are the big learning opportunities for you personally when you look at your development as a leader 
we've got a lot of women listening to this who are in the throes of developing their leadership muscle. Mm -hmm. Any anything that comes to mind that you would think actually this is what worked for me or what didn't work for me that you could throw out there. Find your own way to lead, mm. you know, and be comfortable with it. Um, I very early realized that actually I'm quite inspirational to the people that I lead. Not so much um, as a person, but just because of the passion I have for yeah. what we're doing and the confidence I have that we can get there and the comfort I have in taking risk and the innovation that I can just see in front of me and explain to them and then they can pick it up and make it mm -hmm. real. And that's very inspirational. And so I, I actually very early became um, comfortable myself with the fact that that's the type of leader I am. Yeah. And, and I leveraged that in every opportunity I had to lead. Um, and if that opportunity to be inspirational was taken away from me, um, it became a very um, empty leadership experience mm. for me. Mm. So once you know what makes you special as a leader, and everybody's different, um, and you know that you're just going to build from strength to strength in that regard, um, be very careful and be very aware of taking a leadership position that doesn't rely on yeah. that because you're likely to either not enjoy it or to fail. Yeah. 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 So what next for you now, Patty? <laughs> in terms of your career? Um, I want to, I want to, I want to participate in um, helping businesses succeed in a different way. So I don't want to be the leader, but I want to advise the leader. Mm. I don't want to, but I also don't want to just be outside looking in. So part of this portfolio thing is me exploring, well, how can I be a partner yeah. inside the business, but not be the leader, but contribute in the way that I know I can? Um, because I want to see the person I know who should be the leader really rise and, and be given the right opportunity. And that's either helping them find capital or helping them yep. open a new market or, you know, those things that I'm relatively good at. So I think it's a, a discovery stage for mm -hmm. me in terms of how do I take all of these things and deliver them back to and a business in a different way. Leadership and yeah, effect. yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So being supportive without, um, without being a mother, you know, I don't yeah. want to mother anyone, but yeah. uh, you know, I think I've got a lot to give and, yeah. and I want to give it in a different way. Fantastic. Patty, finally, if your younger self was sitting opposite you now, what would you say to her? Um, I would say, no, I just turned that over because it's, I'm not looking at it anymore. Um, trust, trust yourself, but know yourself. Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes you're going to discover things about yourself that you might not want to accept. Um, and they're either, for example, I had a friend who realized that she was completely ruthless in business. And she had this capability to understand the weaknesses in a deal in mm -hmm. people and anything around the table, really hone in on it, and then just laser focus, mm. take advantage of that. And it bothered her because in her personal life, she wasn't like that at all. You would have never seen she wasn't competitive. She didn't want to beat you at tennis, you know. But somehow in business, she just had this this streak to her. And um, 
And it wasn't until she accepted and found the good in that that she could actually enjoy that power that yeah. she had. So she didn't yeah. like that in herself professionally. Yeah, she, well, she didn't want to, she, it, it almost felt like it wasn't her, so right. to speak, because her personal persona, um, she would have never put that into, yeah. you know, but in business, you, you do wear different boots, yeah. you do wear different clothes, you're in a different playing field, um, and it's okay to be a different person sometimes and, yeah. and enjoy that and go to that strength. It doesn't mean it has to invade your private yeah. life necessarily. Yeah, that's yeah. great advice. So you said trust yourself and know yourself. How important is building that self-awareness throughout your career to your ability to impact as a leader? I wish I would have done it more. Mm -hmm. um, I wish I would have known that to go two to three years without a checkup, a check-in, some, some yeah. event that made you think again about who am I, what am I good at, where am I, you know. And it's not so much planning because I'm not a career planner. Mm -hmm. It's much more about being open to what's happening and then refining what you see and how you react to what's coming your way next. Yeah. Um, in a conscious way, more consciousness towards it versus just letting it evolve. Um, and that could be reading a book, going to a class, getting a coach, you know, having a mentor, mm -hmm. um, taking a sabbatical. There's all different ways to, to take stock. Yeah. But I would and really to do that purposefully, purposefully and more frequently. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Any other advice you would give to your younger self? Enjoy it. It goes yeah. quick. Yeah. <laughs> Fun. Yeah. Patty, it's been such a pleasure. Thanks for coming and speaking to us today, giving you advice to your younger self. Thanks, Patty. Thanks, Pat. It's a real pleasure this morning to have with me Dottie Irving, Chief Executive of Four Coleman Getty. Dottie founded the arts campaigning and events communications agency Coleman Getty back in 1987. It's now part of the fast-growing Four Communications. She has a huge reputation for using culture and campaigning to build profile for clients. Dottie's helped the careers of some of the biggest names in the business, including J.K. Rowling, Nigella Lawson. Her current clients include The Man Booker, Foils, Pan Macmillan Publishers, University of Dundee. She regularly features in the PR Week's Power Book and in the Bookseller Top 100. And I'm delighted to have you join me here this morning. Thank you, Dottie. And here this morning, we're going to be talking about the advice you would like to give to your younger self. I look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dottie, can we kick off with some of your career headlines? Tell us a bit about your working life. Well, I would never recommend that anybody comes to talk to me to get any sort of template for how to sort out their career because <laughs> I never had one. And I think I've been incredibly uh, lucky in my working life in that I've always had the, maybe it's either the courage or the stupidity just to, to follow my instincts. Mm -hmm. um, I've never, I never had a game plan. So I started off quite randomly as a, as a teacher, which I, I really didn't much enjoy the, the rigours of a classroom. I didn't mind the kids, but I didn't like the staff very much. Yeah. So I gave that up as soon as I could because I was offered an absolutely fantastic job at Penguin Books. Mm. I happened to see an ad, I happened to apply for it. I was one in quite a large number of people and I got this job to my astonishment. So it meant leaving Scotland, coming to London. My parents were absolutely livid with me. And just sort of setting up in, in because I had, a, I had a degree, I had an honours degree, I had teaching experience. So I worked for the academic unit of Penguin, which then shut down within about two weeks of my arriving. So I found myself moving into different jobs and I had the most wonderful time at Penguin. Um, 
I moved through all kinds of different areas. I worked in children's books. Mm. I worked in the adult books. I ended up being the overall corporate PR person for, for Penguin, uh, working with a wonderful American man called Peter Mayer, who really encouraged me to, to be as brave as I wanted to be. He used to say, just don't be frightened of doing things, get on with them. He had a lot of chutzpah. He was a wonderful man to work for. And then um, I found that I was having a baby. And having had a baby, I went back to work. And Penguin was a wonderful employer. There was never any problem about being right. a working mother. But actually, I found that I had changed quite fundamentally. Um, and that I, I had somehow unleashed something about wanting to do something for myself. So I gave up this absolutely wonderful job where I could have had five or six babies and quite happy and set up my own company. Uh, so I now have one child and one company. Yes. That's my career plan. Don't follow <laughs> what I did. That's fantastic. And that was Coleman Getty. That was Coleman Getty, yeah. Mm. And tell us a little bit about how you grew Coleman Getty because that was, as you say, quite a brave thing to do. Oh, that, you know, fool's Russian. Um, to start with, it, obviously, it was me, and I forced Sarah, who worked with me at Penguin, I forced her to come with me. I said, it's going to be absolutely wonderful. We're going to have such fun. Poor woman, I think she was a nervous wreck for the first <laughs> year because there was me and there was her. And I was trying to do everything from writing plans to talking to journalists to get bringing in business. Sarah was, Sarah's job was to be in the office, to be the sort of firm base in the office. We called the company, Coleman Getty, for a very specific reason. Mm -hmm friend of mine who wanted to put money into the company said he always wanted to own a company called Coleman Getty because uh, Coleman was mustard, English, a brand that everybody recognised, a bit of heat about it. Yes. And Getty was hands across the ocean, culture and money. Oh, I see. So mustard and money was how we started <laughs> off. And poor Sarah in the office was getting these phone calls, generally from men, I'd have to say 30 years ago. Could they please speak to Mr. Coleman? And she'd say, I'm so sorry, Mr. Coleman's not available. Could, okay, Mr. What Getty. What about Mr. Getty? Yeah. <laughs> no. It'll have to be Miss Irving. <clears throat> and there was quite a lot of harumphing went on around that time. Right. I felt quite sorry for her having to do that. But so how did I grow the business? I had a reputation from Penguin, actually, because I'd worked with a lot of quite big-name writers, and I was known by publishers. Mm -hmm. But I was particularly keen to build the other side of the company, the campaigning side. And, and in particular, I was interested in women and work. That was really my... my because of a real personal interest in it. And as I say, I was very lucky at Penguin in, in that the maternity provision was, was, was fine. Um, but I saw so many other women of my age and ability just not being able to not work. And, it, and it was women then. It wasn't ever the fact that it was going to be a man staying at home to look yes. after the child. Right. Um, and so I got involved with some... How did I do that? I'm quite a curious person. I met yes. a lot of people. Mm -hmm. um, I got involved in a wonderful campaign that you will remember, Penny, called Opportunity... 2000. Yeah. I think it was even Opportunity Now back then. Did was it, not it? No, change. it was Opportunity It started off yes. because by the year 2000, the aim was that every FTSE 100 would have at least one woman on the board. Yes. Um, in 1999, it changed its name because that hasn't happened. Now. And it still hasn't happened. Mm. So that hasn't really told you how I built the business. I think... But um, campaigning was a big Campaigning component. was a big part of mm. it. Um, and it's a... When you, when you are two people, if you take on one extra person, that's 50% of your workforce you've increased by, which is quite a big ask yes, of a small business. So I think to start with, I used freelancers, and then I had the courage to take on one person, and then suddenly we, we were six, and then we went to 12, and, and the company just grew. That's fantastic. What are you proudest of in terms of your career when you look back over that, Dottie? I was interviewing somebody for a job the other day, and I said, do you have any questions? And she said... What are you proudest of and what you've ever done? And I, I actually couldn't answer because I've, 
Oh, I'm proud of the fact that I worked with J.K. Rowling for, for the whole run of the Harry Potters, and that was such good fun with all the all the things that we did, you know, midnight openings and. Yes. But also quite some quite serious stuff because Joe was very involved with uh, the Romanian orphans, and we used mm -hmm. to take trips to to Romania. And I think she did a lot of good, not just her money but her support for that. What's been the most challenging thing for you in your career? I suppose keeping things fresh and new mm. for clients. I mean, we ha we tend to keep clients on for quite a long time. Um, most agencies, a client would change every two or three years, but um, something like the Man Booker Prize, I've looked after that prize for 25 years. So you have to keep things fresh. You have to approach every new year thinking, not thinking, oh, we did it this way last year. Mm. Uh, I think, and not just for me, but for other people, it's too easy to get into a rut and think, yeah, we'll just do it that way. When you look back over your career, and as you say, you've had campaigning for women at work has been quite central to... Uh, uh, to Coleman Getty and for yourself personally, what, what have you seen? What changes have you seen in the last 25 years? I think I think there are many changes. I mean, I see the, I employ um, quite a lot of men in their 20s and 30s, and I see those men with completely different attitudes towards women and work. Um, there's a sense of partnership that there wasn't before, and I don't think it was a deliberate. You, you're the woman, and you'll do this, and I'm the man. This was the way that people thought. I think that's changed quite fundamentally. Yeah. So you see that in your employees currently? Yeah, mm -hmm. I do. And also in my son-in-law, actually. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But just on. That's even exciting. Yeah. <laughs> um, so things are different now, you think. What, what do you wish, when you look back, in terms of advice to your younger self, what do you wish you knew then that you know now? Uh, not to worry about things. That actually, things will, be, things will work out fine. Things generally do. I mean, you put your mind to it. You, you give it your all. Um, and, if, and also, if things fail, well, too bad. They've failed and you just move on. You don't brood over it. So worry less. Worry less. And you let know, be, 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 failures go. Yeah, be, be, be open to the fact that you're not going to succeed in everything. Mm. But that shouldn't stop you from trying. Mm. Are there things you would have done differently? I mean, I did some things that, that at the time maybe seemed a bit odd. For example, I was absolutely sure I was never going to run a company from my kitchen table. So we invested in office premises from the start. Perhaps been a bit more courageous on that front. Perhaps a little bit noisier about going and getting. We've always had yeah. quite a modest approach to ourselves rather than I mean, we shout on behalf of our clients. Mm. Interesting. So you weren't necessarily being as broadcast yeah. for yourselves yeah. as yeah. you were for your clients. Yeah. Hence this podcast today. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you talked about it your time in Penguin. You had mm. someone who really said, just go for it. Just yeah. do it. Yeah. Have you had other people in your career? Yeah, who... I've been incredibly blessed with that, actually. Well, first start, my father was always encouraging me. He was quite entrepreneurial, mm. always encouraged me to just go on with things. Um, Peter Mayer was definitely somebody. Um, yeah, I have been quite well supported by people, women and men, actually, yeah. not, not, just, not just men. And but, did you yeah. seek them out? Do you think there maybe likes attract or something? I don't yes. know. Yes, yeah, you stumbled something upon about, one yeah, another, yeah. and as you say, yeah. likes attract. Yeah. What did they do for you? Well, Peter was quite wonderful. I mean, he, uh, he's the best example I can give you, um, where he, he kind of spotted me and he, he deliberately promoted me. I mean, I don't know if even you'd be allowed to do this these days, but he sort of promoted me. And in fact, he then did something really difficult. He promoted me above the head of a woman I worked okay. for. And that was that would actually, have been tricky for you. That was probably <coughs> the most difficult thing I've ever had in my career, actually thinking about it. Um, and she, she didn't behave very well, shall we say. And I should have said to him, I'm happy to take this promotion on condition that, that we rearrange 
yes. structure, instead of which I was, I was apparently in charge of this woman, but she was just going off and doing her own things. So I, I put up with that for about six months and I thought, come on. What did you do? I had a word with her and I said this was not working and she more or less said, well, too bad. And I said, no, no, it's not too bad. You have to change or else you, I'm going to find ways of you leaving. And mm. so she left. Mm. It wasn't nice. Mm. No, really tough. Tough initiation into your seniority. Yes. Yeah. yeah, because actually I'm so used to working with nice people. Yes. I, I know that sounds an, an odd thing to say, but I love most of the people I work with and I look forward to seeing them when I enjoy the company. Yes, so that was a difficult initiation. Yeah. Are they, you talked about um, some of the things you would do differently. Are there... What was the biggest learning for you personally in your career? Where were, the, were there real steep learning curves that you were very conscious of at the time? I think it's that thing about getting up and if something's gone wrong, putting it behind you and going on to the next thing and, and not necessarily sharing your grief with the world. Okay. Some horrible things have happened, like losing a really beloved client. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that happens because, as I say, people want to move on and yeah. do things differently. But it's tough. Yeah. But it's tough and you have to pretend that that's fine because you've got a team there that you have to be... I mean, you might say, I'm incredibly upset about this, but you yeah. move on. So what builds that resilience in you to tough that out and not necessarily share it with people? I don't know. Does my character I'm Scottish yeah. or being <laughs> Scottish or yeah. having done it for a long time? Or I mean, I used to worry endlessly about things like even talking to clients about what we were going to charge them in a way of a fee. Yes. And I see the kids now sort of skirting all the way around the issue, whereas I think it's fine to talk about money. It doesn't yes. bother me at all. It's just having done it for long enough. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you uh, mentor and sponsor people in your own organisation now? We're, I'm very much for training on the job. Mm -hmm. uh, I spend a lot of time with the... With the, the, the I mean, the, we're now a company of 17 or 18 within a much larger organisation. Um, so I spend a lot of time with, with them. I work on projects and work closely with them, show them how I would do things, um, take them to events. I, mean, I spend a lot of time with the people who work with me. Yeah. Yeah. And I love, I love seeing them going from rabbit in the headlights yes. to being competent. I met one chap, Matt, who works for me, who came as a graduate trainee. He came for three months. He's now our creative director and it's given, it gives me such pleasure That's to see how, how brilliant he's been. He's like a mini me. I can see him. Just <laughs> <laughs> he's going to fly. He's absolutely going to fly. Yeah. What do you love about your working life, Dottie? I love the people and I love the projects. Mm. Um, I am never bored. I have never had a day's boredom in my job. Mm -hmm. I love the challenges of coming up with new things. I like, I like learning. I mean, I'm, I'm not in the generation that was born into computers and yes. social media and so on. So I like learning all of that from kids. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you think when you look back over your career, things have changed in the last 25 years. Has being a, a working mother been an advantage to you, a disadvantage to you? How have you navigated that? I come from a family where my mother and father both worked. I was brought up in a hotel. Yeah. And my mother worked night and day, um, and my dad did too. Um, I, I have asked Tess, my daughter, what she thinks about would she rather I were a stay-at-home mother, and she said, oh, God, no, no. So, quite the opposite. Tess used to have to come into the office with me if I worked on a Sunday. Mm -hmm. She'd come in and lie in her basket or fiddle about with a press release or whatever yeah. she would do. Um, I, I don't think it's done her any harm at all. Mm -hmm. um, quite the opposite. Mm. And she agrees? Most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> you said at the beginning that you didn't necessarily have a big career plan. 
But with the critical decisions you took, obviously leaving oh, yes. Penguin and yes. going out yes. on your own, with the critical decisions you took, what, what decisions were they? Leaving Edinburgh to come to London. Yes, yeah. Um, leaving Penguin to set up on my own. Deciding to sell the company. That was mm. quite a critical thing because um, Tess, uh, my ex-husband's a journalist and she too is a journalist and I had thought that perhaps she'd be interested in coming into the business. Yeah. Um, but it became obvious that that wasn't, that wasn't going to happen. Um, and I didn't sort of want to let Comagetti just disappear. I'm not yes. thinking of retiring or anything, but I had to look to the future. Mm. Um, and so that was, that was probably one of the biggest decisions to sell the company. And it took me quite a long time to decide that it was going to happen. Mm. And then it took me quite a long time to find the right fit. Yes. Um, and bizarrely, for communications, the company I did sell to is run by a woman. And her, the managing director of the woman. So I don't know whether that was a deliberate. Whether it was thing or conscious not. or not, yeah, but yeah, in terms made of a difference fit. to me. Yeah, yeah. And of course, it's it, for me. It's been great because not only now do I can I carry on with my culture and my campaigning, but I can work with other sectors. So, for example, mm -hmm. we can work with some of our property people on things like cultural placemaking, where mm. where you can take a, a town like Folkestone. And make folks attractive to people to want to come and live there, to 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 work there, to educate their children. There. And so I like that sort of bread that it's given me. Yeah. And when you took those decisions, they were big ones. Um, what were the key attributes of those decisions, or what were the features? What were you thinking? I need to achieve with this decision. How did you approach it? Change, I suppose. Mm. I mean, moving from Edinburgh to London was a major mm. change. Um, setting up my own pretty major change yeah. and selling the company of course was a big a big move so mm. maybe I wasn't bored but I knew I needed to, to change yeah and what now for you what next I don't know actually I, 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 I was worrying about that for a while I thought you know getting on a bit should I be thinking and I suddenly thought I don't need to make any choices at all I yeah. can do exactly what I want to do and if I wake up one morning and think I'm going to go and sit under a banana tree in the Maldives, then I will do that thing. But <laughs> Until you wake up I, feeling I, I'm, that. I'm not feeling it. Right, right now, I love what I do. I'm yeah. very lucky. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, Dottie, what advice would you have for women managers focusing on an executive career or women who are looking at either getting into your industry or going out on their own, as you did? Just be prepared to work hard mm. and not to be diverted, um, but enjoy it. Yeah. I read something, um, I've got it on my board actually, my work board at home, was, I think it was Confucius, somebody saying, find the job that you love and you'll never do a day's work in your life. Yeah. I thought that was quite Fantastic. good actually. Yeah. Yeah. Is that how your career has felt to yeah, you? Yeah, I've never, never felt, I've, I mean of course, one's got to do really dull things like spreadsheets and stuff, but, but yeah, that's what I feel like. That sounds fantastic. Dottie, um, anything else that you would like to leave people with in terms of looking back over your career? You've given us some great headlines around courage and change and going for it and being a little more Teflon about the, the worries and the failures. Any other advice you'd give to a woman who's embarking on her career at the moment? Get on with it. Get on with it. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> Dottie, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today. Dottie Irving, Chief Executive of Forcom and Getty. Thanks, Dottie. Thank you, Penny. I enjoyed that. <laughs> thanks for listening to Grit in the Oyster. Join me for our next conversation coming soon, available on SoundCloud and iTunes. And stay in touch, Penny at pennydevolk.com. <laughs>